1975, there was a book written, uh, I think it's called Dress for Success. There's been several books by that, um, by that title. It became a bestseller seller and sold millions and millions of books. Its whole concept was you dress like your boss and then everything will go well. You will be more successful, which that kind of makes sense, although I don't really dress like my earthly boss. There is another book that we have at our house written by actually Carla Mathis who goes to our church here at Neighborhood Church. It's called The Triumph of Individual Style. And Carla would say that you should dress not like your boss, but to reflect who Jesus created you to be on the inside. And if you don't know Carla, she is amazing. But whether you're dressing like your boss or dressing like God created you to be, and of course I'm a little bit partial to Carla as her friend, I believe that there is something about the uniform that says something. So we did Street Pastors for, uh, for a number of years. It's still actually happening. It's just greatly diminished after, the, uh, after COVID. Uh, but there is something about being in a uniform that changes people's, uh, the way that they respond to you. Have you ever noticed this? So you put a Street Pastor uniform on and everybody apologizes for their bad language. They don't ever apologize until you wear a Street Pastor, right? And then all of a sudden, oh, sorry, Pastor, sorry, Pastor, sorry, Pastor. But there's something about wearing a uniform or dressing a certain way that evokes certain, well, certain behavior, a certain response. And I wonder, as we look at Colossians 3, what kind of uniform a Christian is supposed to wear? What are we supposed to portray about who God created us to be, as, Carth as Carla would say? And how do we reflect our boss, Jesus, in that same way? All right, so we're going through the book of Colossians. If you're new, welcome. I'm Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here at Neighborhood Church. I neglected to tell you that earlier. And in this book, this is a little letter that has four chapters. It's in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's 13 letters to a church in a place called Colossae. And they're the Colossians. They're the people who live in Colossae. So as we're going through this book, we've gone through the first two chapters, which are all about what we believe about ourselves, what we are to believe about God and the world. We can call this doctrine. But then these last two chapters, three and four, are where the rubber meets the road, where we got to figure out, okay, how do we actually live based on what we're supposed to believe about ourselves, about God, and about what's happening in the world? So in our passage now, uh, Chris Thrasher-Wheatley did a great job talking about the things that we're supposed to take off, this list of things that aren't becoming of a Jesus follower. But um, if you just finish, we just finished the book with Chris, uh, we would be naked people without anything on. And so let's figure out what kind of clothes we wear. And this is the analogy that Paul is using to put on certain clothes. It, this passage with, uh, starts with verse 12, starts with the word therefore. Whenever you're reading the Bible, if you see the word therefore, you should look to see what it's there for. We call it context, that you would see what comes before that because therefore is kind of one of those bridge kind of words that says, since these things are true, then this. If P, then Q. Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These five garments we're supposed to put on. So let's start going through some of these words. We're really going to focus on these five virtues or garments. And then I'm going to, I'm just going to admit, we'll kind of roll through the rest of the passage kind of quickly. So put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Uh, By the way, why is therefore, therefore? Therefore is all about the passage that comes before the fact that we're supposed to not act like these certain things. As Christians, this isn't reflecting our Savior, our boss, or the person that we are created to be. But we are who are we created to be. We're, we're created to be God's chosen people. Let's start with chosen, first of all. I was always the last picked on every single sports team in elementary school. Why? I was hopelessly vertically challenged. And everybody thought, if you were tall, you were better at whatever it was. Now, that's true for basketball and some other things, but somehow I was chosen last. Worked through that, I promise. There is something about being chosen that is so precious and powerful. Oftentimes, people look at chosen, they go, well, what about the people that aren't chosen? Oh, no. It's about you. You're chosen. This is about the love of God. It's not about who wasn't chosen. That's a different conversation about election for a different day. We're chosen people. How do we know this? Ephesians 1, for he chose us in him and Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We're chosen for great things. We're chosen to live a certain way. We're chosen to reflect our Savior Jesus in heaven. A long time ago, not like last week. Jesus says this in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Once again, I'm not just choosing you because, I don't know, you're beautiful to look at. I'm choosing. (laughs) I'm choosing you so that you'll reflect the kingdom. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're supposed to reflect the kingdom. We're supposed to have that family resemblance. We're supposed to reflect the Father. So we're chosen people. We're also holy and dearly loved. Holy actually means saints. Why? Because if Jesus, since Jesus died for us and we have chosen, chosen, (laughs) this word, I knew I was going to struggle this morning. Since we have chosen to give our lives to Jesus and surrender to him. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. We are called holy ones. Why? Because it's done in heaven that we are holy, that Christ's righteousness, all of his goodness is given to us. Therefore, we already are holy ones. And the rest of this life is a process of trying to learn how to live that out, to look more and more like Jesus every day. And that's the Holy Spirit's working in us. But we're already called holy ones. We're trophies of God's grace. We're supposed to be signboards of the Father, dressing in his uniform. And we're dearly loved. The great thing about this word dearly loved, it has to do with agape, which probably most of you have maybe heard before this little Greek word, to be loved unconditionally, this love that God has for us. But this is in the perfect tense, meaning that it was a past action with ongoing effects. He loved you way before, and he just keeps on loving you. 
You are dearly loved. You are perfectly loved. There's a song, I think, on the radio these days that, you know, about being perfectly loved that kind of captures this. You're holy and you're dearly loved. So then here's your imperative verb, put on. You do it now. This is not like, a well, tomorrow, 20 minutes from now, three years from now, just go ahead and think about putting it on. This is, you put it on. What am I supposed to put on? Glad you asked. I'm going to put on these five garments, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Three of these are fruits of the Spirit. Where do we find the fruits of the Spirit? In Galatians 5. It's another one of Paul's letters to the Galatians, the people who live in Galatia, place in modern-day Turkey. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that when we surrender to the Holy Spirit in our life, this is the fruit that we bear. By the way, forbearance, oftentimes you think about it as patience. We're going to see that in our passage in a minute, just to be clear. So three of these in this list are fruits of the Spirit, meaning that your primary application of these three things are to surrender to the Holy Spirit more, knowing that this is the fruit that is born in your life. But let's go one by one. Let's start with compassion. Compassion. Now, this word is interesting because it is in the plural. It means uh, the bowels of mercy. And it's also in the middle voice, meaning that you, it happens to, like it's, it's happening to yourself. This is actually, the, some of the Greek language is so beautiful. This is actually describing what it feels like to have compassion. This, this, the Latin word would be viscera, to have like this visceral kind of reaction. Uh, the English word uh, compassion, compati, this is to suffer with. So this inner parts, you're suffering with someone else. You have this gut feeling, if you will. It's gut-wrenching. It's, it's breaking my heart. These are all words that we use for this same thing, right? Uh, this is common in our language. Listen to your gut. You've got butterflies in your stomach. I'm melancholy. By the way, melancholy means black bile. Right? So it's not like... The idea of your guts are completely foreign to us. And we don't think about compassion as being a gut feeling. But Jesus in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Love this quote. Compassion means entering the suffering of another in order to lead the way out. This is a Christian author. So when I think about compassion, I think about my friend, Brene Brown. We're not friends, but I'd like to be someday. She says this, empathy is the skill or ability to tap into your own experiences in order to connect with an experience someone else is relating to us. Compassion is the willingness to be open to this process. Empathy fuels connection, but pity or sympathy actually drives disconnection. So this is not about pitying someone. This is about empathy. Empathy is communicating that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. 
suffering with, coming alongside. We're called to put on this kind of response to suffering in the world, that we wouldn't just say, oh, it's too bad for them, but we would be moved. I know just watching the news in the past month or so, that images have moved me. And you would, I don't know who it hasn't moved, but that sense of, oh God, you've got to come through. And for me, compassion moves me to pray. Oh God, we need you. Why? Because I don't know that I can do much in the Middle East, but I can pray. And that is where I do my best work. So how do we do this? Well, just a couple ideas for you, and they are just ideas for me. First of all, forgive. Why? Because it's impossible to have compassion when you're carrying resentment, says my friend Brene Brown. It's impossible to have compassion when you're carrying resentment. For some of you, this is the message for you this morning, that you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you get to a place to let go of some things that you're holding against others. Brene also talks about working on boundaries, and she defines boundaries as what's okay and what's not okay. And the more skilled you are on your boundaries, the more compassionate you can be. Lastly, she talks about action, that compassion is empathy plus action. It means not only just feeling something, but then acting to ease someone's pain. Compassion is beautiful, and if we had more of it, the kingdom would absolutely explode. The second thing we're supposed to put on is kindness. Just a little fruit on there to remind you it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness is, by the way, and compassion as well, these, these are characters of God that we find in the Old Testament, characteristics of God that we find in the Old Testament, and we're being asked to model and look like our Father. Just want to make sure I put that in there. Com- kindness is, is action that reveals compassion. This is a Romans 2.4 that says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. He doesn't come with a big hammer to hit us over the head to try to get us to do the right thing. It's his kindness that leads us to a place of changing our mind and repenting and turning from our own ways to his way. This kindness... Um, one person said it was love that will not let go. A steadfast love the Lord never ceases. By the way, there's a great Bible project video on the, on the Hebrew word hesed for loyal love that I would point you to. And kindness, if you asked me, Andrew, what is the characteristic of God that you're most drawn to that when you just begin to rehearse that you just worship immediately, it's kindness. It's so powerful. It's not just about helping someone across the street. It's Holy Spirit driven and a fruit of the Spirit. Third, humility. Now, I'm not going to tell you to try to be more humble. That ain't going to work. Let's talk about the word first. I just had such a Bible nerd, beautiful week this week. Um, This word was made up by the New Testament writers. It is not in the classical Greek. The Romans and the Greeks had no word for humility. Why? Because they said, we will never lose. We will never lose a battle. We will never lose a war. We will never concede. We will never give up. The ancient world saw this as 
pitiable weakness. And they would, it was, it was a derogatory term for Christians. Oh, it's just pitiable. Ugh. It's used of, mostly for slaves. And yet the Christians said, no, no, this is the most important. We see humility in the Old Testament. It's very clear. We see humility is the antidote for self-love that poisons all relationships. Humility is the antidote for self-love that poisons all relationships. I've been thinking this week about our next passage, next week about husbands love your wives. And in a conversation with a friend this last week, we were talking about the fact that maybe Jesus just wants us to serve our spouse. And then when they ask us to do something, we would just actually bless them and do it. Could it be that simple? So I've been trying that this week because I've noticed that my heart goes, wait, why are you asking me to do that? I've got a lot more stuff going on than you do. You ever feel like that? Well, you wouldn't admit it, right? Except for you're in church right now and you know I'm the only one looking at you. But you're getting the Holy Spirit out elbow right now. And I'm realizing like, how many times do I miss opportunities to love my wife because I'm trying to defend the fact that I've got too much to do? Just iron the darn shirt, Andrew. Just go take out the trash, Andrew. Just serve. Why? Because that's what humility looks like. And it's not about working on humility. It's really about moving toward love. Well, one of the many things I read this week, true humility is not putting ourselves down, but rather lifting up others. And as we go through life exalting Christ and others, then genuine humility will be inevitable. It's like you fall into it. As you lift up Jesus, by the way, as we do that, he draws all men to himself. And I want to be lifting up others. By the way, uh, the words for humility come from like words for soil and grasses, very low to the ground. That's why you get lowly in those kinds of translations. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the lowly. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, that's a pretty good payoff. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, one of the most applicable verses to your life. You should probably put this on a sticky note somewhere. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And rather, in humility, value others above yourselves or over yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is the heart of honor. When you're honoring, it's really hard to be prideful. And by the way, pride is the enemy of humility. So how do you do it? Well, just a couple of thoughts for you. One is look in the proper mirror. What mirror do you look in? If you look in the mirror of comparing yourself to your friends or your spouse or others, that's not the right mirror. Here's your mirror right here. James says, that we are to look, at sometimes as we look, we find ourselves in the mirror of God's word and go, oh, I am, oh, I need to work on some stuff here. I am out of alignment. And yet the fool looks at what God's best way, his life to the fullest looks like. And he says, oh, it's fine. I'm just going to drop the kids off. I'm sure I won't see anybody. It's fine. I don't really need to do this. And they walk away and they forget what they look like. 
That's what James says. This is the proper mirror. It's so hard to figure out how to tell you how to be humble. If you strive toward humility, you'll get false humility, and that'll be pride. So let's not do that. But I think looking in the proper mirror is, for me, helpful. Also, too, ask Jesus to show you where you have pride. Oh, watch out for this prayer. Because he will show you, and you will find it. And it will be subtle sometimes, and you will think, I'm just, nope. Last one, are you thankful? We're going to see in the next, like, three weeks. Thanksgiving is right in the center of this book, and it's littering the ends of our, of our passage here today. Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm here to tell you, and not just the, where you have turkey and you do the run for food, but the idea of being thankful, the attitude of gratitude, I believe it's one of the secret weapons in the Christian faith. I think when you choose into gratitude, even in difficult things, God begins to bring his presence in powerful ways. I'm going to preach that message in a few weeks gentleness. Fourth one, once again, fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, it feels so namby-pamby, like, oh, gentleness. Like firefighter guys are like, I don't want to be gentle. I want to like pull guys out of like burning buildings and stuff. Gentleness is the humble, is the humble and gentle attitude which expresses itself in patient submissiveness to offense, free from malice and desire for revenge. It is controlled strength, and it's the opposite of arrogance, which would be the opposite of pride, right? So you see in how these words very much overlap. In fact, a little uh, extra credit assignment for you. If you can come up with a way to link all five of these virtues together and send it to me, I would love to see what you how you see these fitting together because I think there's something beautiful that I haven't been able to put together. So that's your extra credit assignment if you want to do that. So this is strength under control. This is oftentimes used for medicine, for a light breeze, a cool breeze, or a cult that has been effectively broken. These are the three of the ways that, that these words are used in the original language. Why are those words used? Because if you have too much medicine, it could kill you. If the breeze is 150 miles an hour, it blows your house down and we call it a hurricane, right? And if a colt is not broken, they could do a whole bunch of damage to you as you're trying to navigate riding or interacting with them. So this is, gentleness is not, oh, isn't that nice? Just be sensitive. Gentleness is great strength under incredible control. Aristotle um, defined it as the correct balance between being too angry and never being angry at all. This, is a, this describes a person who's never angry at any personal wrong, doesn't take an offense, but who's capable of righteous anger when you see others wronged. Do you see this? So, how do you do it? Well, the first, first question I would ask is, do you struggle with entitlement? Do you hold on to offenses? And this might be the biggest issue for Christians living in 2023 in the United States of America or wherever they are. We believe we have the right to hold on to an offense, but I'm here to tell you, biblically, you have no right to hold on to an offense. You're going to see it in the rest of the passage. 
I'm wondering if even the language of I'm offended is off limits for a believer. Why? Offense is the bait of Satan. He wants you to take offense so you'll hold on to resentment and bitterness. We learned a couple weeks ago that if you hold on to your anger, that the Lord, that the enemy gets a foothold and actually creates, he has some space to operate in your life. Offense is this subtle thing that says, I was wronged, and I'm waiting for the other person to pay in some way. It's unforgiveness at the end of the day. And the Bible has some really, really crazy things to say about being tortured if you hold on to unforgiveness. What are you being tortured by? That for a different sermon. But you're being tortured. And this might be really poking the bear for you. You might be saying, but Andrew, you don't know the pain that I've gone through. You don't know these people that were so close to me, that betrayed me, or that turned their back on me, or that abused me. How in the world can I forgive them? That doesn't seem right. The truth is that not forgiving someone, or what I would call unforgiveness, is like drinking poison all the while hoping that the other person dies. All it does is puts you in prison. And you say, but I can't let him off the hook. Well, you can't, but the Holy Spirit giving you power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he can give you the strength and the ability to let go and take them off your hook. The good news is this. You think, what about justice? Not a problem. God's a, just, a God of justice and mercy. And as soon as we pull him, them off our hook, he, they go right onto God's hook. And he's the one that can actually hold someone accountable for their actions. He's the just God. He loves you. Does that mean that I hope that they'll pay and that God gets them? No, I want to pray mercy and grace on them. But as soon as I release that, there is a freedom. I'm here to say that in my life, there have been a few times where I have been severely wronged. And at least on one occasion, when I just chose to take that person off the hook and give them to Jesus, I felt like a thousand pounds were released off my shoulders. Did the other person know that I had done that? No. Sometimes it's not appropriate to go back to that person depending upon the situation. And this is where, by the way, quick, quick commercial for counseling. Healthy people go to counseling. Healthy people go to counseling. God uses counselors and he uses friends and he uses fellowship and community to help us to get free. Not to be controlled by someone else, but to be helped. Why? Because compassion is empathy plus action. And those folks then can help us to move forward. That's gentleness. It might, it might be the coolest word in this whole list. And yet, we're going to one-up it with patience. Another thing that you're afraid to pray for, not knowing exactly what would happen if you did. Once again, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the more that you, you, you surrender to, to the Holy Spirit, the more he fills you, the more the filling of the Spirit then produces patience in your life. This is the same thing that Jesus is said to have had in 1 Timothy 1.16. For that reason, Paul says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of the sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. 
The Hebrew word means long nose. By the way, this is the guy that is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest current nose. He lives in Turkey. And his nose is very long. The idea of a long nose in Hebrew is a slow breather. Why? Because when you're enraged... You have the flare of the nostrils and, the, and, the, and you're basically hyperventilating. And once again, we're getting in the biblical words. They're telling you how you feel. Anxiety versus peace. This idea of patience is a long suffering or a long fuse. Uh, in the 300s, John Chrysostom said this, Patience is the spirit which has the power to take revenge, but never does so. I think about my three dogs. This is Missy, Molly, and Poppy. Missy is the uh, bigger dog, and she's blonde, and uh, Poppy is the little white dog, and she's the puppy. Poppy is incessant. Poppy wants Missy, this bigger dog, to love her, and so she just follows her around all the time and chews on Missy's face. And Missy just bears it. She's just so long-suffering. She, she could get Poppy's head in her mouth and probably chew it up. But there is this patience that this dog has for this little dog, which is remarkable. It says, I'm not willing to take revenge, even though you're bugging me right now. Oftentimes, as you study this word, this has to do with those who are foolish and have wronged you or, and specifically, the things that they have not done that you're disappointed with. The things that they haven't done. He didn't notice me when I came in the room. She didn't buy my lunch. Whatever, whatever the thing is, right? And choosing not to be offended, but actually be Keep your love and your grace towards someone else. Colossians 1, just going back in our book, oftentimes it's helpful to see the, the context within that letter. Paul's actually praying. He says, we're, I'm praying that we'd be, you'd be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you would have two things, endurance and patience. Fortitude and patience. Fortitude, Paul's praying that no situation, pray, praying that there's, there's no situation that can defeat you. And then the other word, patience, is praying that there were no person and their behavior that would defeat you. So this, this word specifically is really about people and being patient in your relationships. So how do you do this? Well, I would say purposefully slow yourself down. This is where John Mark Comer's book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is one of the greatest gifts that I've had in this area. So I'd encourage you to read that book. It's wonderful about pace and rhythms. Maybe you need to be a slow breather. The staff gives me a hard time, especially Amy, because she's in the office next door to me, because I'll be in there. She says, hey, what are you doing? You're Lamaze breathing? What's going on in there? I'm just breathing in the grace of God. I'm just, I'm just choosing to literally physically slow breathe so that I can remember that this is the slow, the long fuse that God wants me to be. And then, Lastly, just an idea for me, and that is, before you make a judgment about something, ask a follow-up question. Hey, tell me, what do you really mean by that? Can we just go back to something you said a few minutes ago? 
trying to avoid offense. So these are the five. And then he goes on to say, by the way, there's a few other things. You've got to bear with one another and forgive each other. These are present participles. And it means you've always got to be bearing with others and forgiving each other. And if you've got a grievance, you've got a complaint against someone, forgive because you are forgiven by God. I read a story about Queen Elizabeth I. She lived in the 1500s. She had a favorite courtier. And this courtier who was the, I think he was the Earl of Essex, she gave him a ring and said, if you ever get in trouble, just have this ring sent to me and I will, you, you will get an audience with me and I'll make sure that you're okay. Well, the time came when he was in big trouble. He was being accused of treason and some other things, conspiracy. And so he, he gave his ring to another minor noble person, this woman, to say, please get this to Queen Elizabeth. Well, she failed to do so and this man was executed. Years later, true story, she's on her deathbed and she says, uh, she sends word to Queen Elizabeth, hey, I need to see you before I die. I've got to get something off my conscience. I need some forgiveness. And so Queen Elizabeth goes and see this Countess of Nottingham and it's in her last moments she asks for Elizabeth's forgiveness because she, re- she said, this is the ring that I never gave to you. I was supposed to bring it to you. Will you please forgive me? And as soon as Elizabeth saw the ring, she went livid with rage and she seized the dying countess in her bed and shook her until her teeth rattled. God may forgive you, she screamed. God may forgive you, madam, but I never shall. Whoa, Elizabeth, that was a lot right there. And you think, oh, come on, Elizabeth, let it go. But oftentimes we don't let it go for much less reasons. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect Unity. It is the piece of the outfit that pulls it all together, whether it's a belt or a coat or whatever you imagine this to be. I love D.L. Moody. He says, joy is love exalted. Peace is love in response. Long-suffering or patience is love enduring. Gentleness is love in society. Goodness is love in action. Faith is love on the battlefield. Meekness is love through tough situations. And temperance or self-control is love in training. Beautifully said. It's a little... It goes back a ways. But do you get the idea? You can see love in all of these attributes, in all of the fruit of the Spirit. And then let the peace, another one of the fruits of the Spirit, of Christ rule in your hearts. This word rule is to umpire. It was used for those who were officiating the Olympic Games and they would make sure that you didn't go outside the lines or else you would be disqualified. You would not be pushed out of your country. You wouldn't lose your citizenship, but you would not receive the prize. Here's Paul saying, let the peace of Jesus be the umpire in all the things that are going on in your life. And this is actually in contrast to what we see in chapter 2, verse 18, which talks about these opponents or these people that are trying to put all these rules together, saying you got to do all these rules, very much religious kind of rules, 
And the same word is used there. Don't let these guys be the umpire and tell you what's right and wrong and what you can and can't do. Let the peace of Jesus then rule in our hearts. And since we're part of one body, since we're connected to one another, we're called to peace. So individually we're called to peace. Collectively we're called to peace. And be thankful. There's our thanksgiving. Then let the message, or literally the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So there is this thought of, yes, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that in Ephesians 5 verse 18. But we also see a filling or a meditation or a time to let the word of Christ continue to dwell in our hearts. When you look at these two passages, they're almost identical. It's like beautiful. And there is this, when we let his message, his word, find a home in our heart to dwell as finding a home in our heart, what happens? Well, in the midst of it, You've got to do that while you're doing two things, two participles here. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching is showing someone how to do something. Admonishing is warning them, hey, don't do this. Watch out for this. Admonishing, we're not so good at. We're really afraid that somebody's going to get offended. Well, there's that word again. Hmm, interesting. I've been um, driving with my daughter Mimi, who has her um, driver's permit, and she's been taught certain things. She went through the, the, you know, the classes, and we've talked about things. But generally, now we're kind of not to teaching, we're kind of to admonishing. I'm like, hey, watch out when you come to an intersection, even when the light turns green, pause and look both ways. I'm warning you, I've known people that have jumped out and their car has been hit by a person running a red light. By the way, I saw, like, I was almost hit three times this way last week. Crazy. You got to pray before you get in your car, right? But I'm admonishing my daughter, hey, I'm warning you, this is something that's helpful. So she goes out with her driver person and she does this. And she says, what did you just do? I have never seen a student look both ways before they go to a green light. Where did you learn this? Oh, my dad told me. All of a sudden, my one moment of being smart this year, right there. (laughs) Got to just hold on to it. And in the early church, and I think even now, there is something about the the music that we sing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It rehearses God's word in our heart and allows us then to be able, as we're doing our teaching and admonishing, we're doing that out of a place of being filled with God's word and all of the great fruit that 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 produces. And once again, gratitude. Oh, let's just triple down on gratitude, shall we? And whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I can argue that Thanksgiving, you could ask it of all of these things. If you're thankful, it's going to move you toward compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And yet we're supposed to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And with the authority and walking in the dominion that he's creating us, created us as sons and daughters to walk in. Not from a victim mentality, not from a weak place, but a meek place of great strength under control. A willingness to give the benefit of the doubt, to love well, and to keep your heart towards someone. 
This, my friends, is what you call a beautiful passage of Scripture. And I want to challenge you this week to meditate on it, to think about it. Say, Lord, what is it that you want to work on in me? How can I grow in these things? And probably the Lord will just show you one thing, and that's, that's the best way. So if you'd stand with me, I want to pray a blessing over you. I love this book, and Paul, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, did an amazing job giving us something that's so deep, so rich, so inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to be able to chew on, and it never loses its flavor. It's like gum that never loses its flavor. You can chew on it and chew on it and chew on it, and it's all good. So prayer folks, if you'd come down forward, we'll open the, uh, the front for any prayer needs you might have. I want to pray for you. But Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your word that always speaks. It's always moving us to a place uh, of kingdom, culture, and life. And so would you show us what life to the fullest looks like this week? Help us to live these things out. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. I pray a blessing on this congregation meeting here and on the stream. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week.